Uh, I'm going to not really continue on the armed and dangerous, which is what we've been talking about, but I want to tie in it kind of at the end here with it a little bit, but you'll understand why I say all these things, because over the last eight uh, Sundays that I was here, uh, I've been talking with you about the armor of God, which I believe is vitally important for all of us as every believer, not just as, you know, spiritual people. If you're a believer, you need to have the armor of God. You need to understand what it means in your life and how do you walk and use those things that God instructed us because he says hey put it all on he didn't say just take the ones that you understand or the he says you need to have a full understanding of of how God has equipped you to live the way that God wants you to live in this life which is not downtrodden not overwhelmed but it is a victorious life and so he's given us weapons uh, if you will uh, to do that with and so you know but there there's another element if you will and this isn't listed but I believe that it is equally as important and uh, you know and so if you if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 13, verse 35, is where we're going to just read one quick verse. And uh, I'm gonna, some of you will know where I'm headed very shortly. Uh, I, I, I intentionally uh, hit this topic a couple times a year because, uh, and I'll explain some of why, because I believe that as believers, it's what makes us different. As followers of Christ, it's the number one thing that should reflect who God is in our life. And so here in uh, John chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus speaking to his disciples well, verse 34, let me just start there. Jesus is talking and he says, he's, getting, he's telling the disciples, say, I'm getting ready to leave, but I'm going to give you a new commandment that you are to love each other just as I have loved you. He says, you should love each other. It says, for your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So what is Jesus instructing the disciples here in? He's saying, look, I'm giving you a new commandment, which is this is going to be the thing that's going to set you apart from everybody else. This is what it's going to, this is how the world will know that you are actually different, that somehow something has changed in you, that we face challenges differently, that when someone insults us or somebody uh, responds in a negative way towards us, is that we actually respond and react in a different way than everybody else. And yet Jesus tells the disciples here and says, look, he says, they will know you by what? By the way you love, by the way that you live, by the way that you act. Because here's the thing so many times is that love is nothing more than a choice when it comes to other people. Now, we're not talking about, and many of you know this, but there's different types of love in the Greek language. There's brotherly love, which is Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. That's, you know, and so then there's, um, you know, Eris, which is, you know, Erotic love, those types of things. But then there's the love of God, which is agape, which is a completely different type of love than all the others really combined. Is because it's completely selfless. It says this, I don't care what you do, I choose to love. That's what God did. Why? Because the Bible says that before we were even born, that he had sent Christ for us. Why? Because he loved us. And so Christ came even before we were born, even before we ever even were in need of a Savior, because we weren't even born yet. Christ had died. Why? Because He loved us. Well, now we're, you can say it this way, is that we're called to continue that mantle. We're, con, we're called, and really God expects for us to walk in this. And so even in light of what I've been sharing with you, you can have all of your armor on and in place, and you can have all those good things. But if you're missing it in this area... You're going to get whipped by the devil. 
And I'll show you this here in a few minutes because so many times as believers, we want, you know, great faith and we want to be able to believe God for miraculous things. And, you know, and we and, and there's a place for that. And I believe in that. We want the gifts of the spirit. I believe in that. But yet the Bible is very clear when it comes to living and walking and, and dealing with other people about loving them first. That is of ultimate importance. First. You know, there's an old quote, um, and, and, you know, and I don't know who first said it. I've heard it a thousand times probably, but it says, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you really care. So many times people know what the church is against more than they actually know what we're for. That's not a, you know, I mean, we don't have to go convince people they're sinners. I knew I was a sinner and I knew I needed grace. I just didn't want it. Nobody had to convince me that I was wrong or that I wasn't right. I knew it. No one had to tell me. Now we have to stand. And, I mean, the Bible is the Bible. The truth is the truth. But there are some elements of, man, that we've got to learn how to love people. And to it really, let me say it this way. We've got to learn how to meet people where they're at. Is that not what God did for us? God didn't ask me to get better before he came and met me. He said, I'm going to come meet you so you can get better. And that's been my life with God is that he has patiently walked with me because I'm hard-headed. I know none of you are hard-headed or stubborn or have anything like that in you. But I'm stubborn and I want to do what I want to do the way I want to do it. But the problem is, is that when God challenges those areas of my life... And this is not something that by my, by my personality, by my bend, by whatever you call it, that just comes naturally to me. So I'm not speaking about this from the point of an expert. I'm speaking to this from the standpoint of a student who's still learning. Because this is not my default. This is something that I've had to learn how to renew my mind to, to think differently, to allow the Holy Spirit to help me, and sometimes the Holy Spirit to kick me in the rear end to say, stop doing that, stop thinking that way, because it's not just something that comes to me naturally. But it's a good thing that I wasn't reborn naturally. I was reborn spiritually. And so there's a new life on the inside of every one of us that makes this possible. So I'm not asking you to do anything that God has not already deposited on the inside of you. Romans 5.5 says this. I'll just paraphrase it. It says that when we get saved, what happens is that God's love gets shown like a bright light into our hearts. And it floods our heart with what? The love of God. So the moment that we become saved, we become like God, right? Is that what the Bible says? When we get saved, we become like Him. Well, what does the Bible say about God? It says that He is love. It doesn't say that He has love. He is love. You know, and there's instructions throughout Scripture about this and that we have to understand is that God's love has been poured into our life. It has been poured into our heart. And it's not just so that we are lovely people. It's not just so that we're a nicer, upgraded, pleasant version of our previous self. God put His love in us. Why? Because that's what creates change in other people. It creates change in us, but it also creates change in other people. I mean, let me ask you an easy question. How many of you have ever felt judged by somebody? Did that make you want to change? No, it made me mad. It made me think, who do you think you are? 
Man, I'll give you a quick example. I've used this before, but, uh, you know, I, I grew up in church, but I didn't live for God. I didn't care anything about the things of God, but I got saved when I was 16. Like, really saved. You know, where it became real to me. Well, I had a bit of a reputation around our church that I wasn't really the most well-behaved or whatever you want to say it. And uh, so, we'll just leave it at that. I had a reputation. And, uh, you know, and so, but I had a friend. I'd gotten saved. I was excited about the things of God. And I, you know, and I knew that God had really done a work in my heart and in my life. And so, I had brought a friend to church with me on a Sunday morning. And uh, so, he was not from a spirit-filled background kind of church. And so... You know, I don't remember, but it was kind of one of those services that were just a little different. And, uh, but he's asking me, I believe somebody, I don't know, I'm going to take a stab here. And there might have been a tongue and interpretation. I'm not sure what had happened. But he was like, what was that? I have never seen, heard, no, what, what in the world? You know, and again, we're teenagers. And so I'm telling him, trying to explain to him in the best way that I could, what in the world's happening? What in the world's going on in this service in this moment? And, uh, you know, and so, needless to say, there was a lot of conversation going back and forth. I had a previous reputation that fed into this. And in the foyer of our church, which I went to a fairly large church, and one of the ushers pinned me to the wall as everybody left and began to chew me out for talking and being disruptive to the service. I didn't give a rip what that guy said. I wasn't changing. As a matter of fact, I wanted to punch him. I went home and told my parents that. I said, you know so-and-so? I wanted to deck him this morning. I was saved, but not that saved yet. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, you know, and so there was there were some things going on in me that morning. And, you know, and it didn't motivate me to change at all. As a matter of fact, it had quite the opposite effect. It made me say, I don't want anything to do with... If that's what Christians are, I don't want anything to do with them. It didn't motivate me one ounce in what God was doing in my life. And so we have to be careful as believers how we approach people and how we deal with people. It doesn't mean that there's not truth. It doesn't mean there's not a standard. There is absolutely a standard. It is called the Word of God. I didn't write it. God did. I just live by it. But there is a way to deal with people. Whether that's in people that we're trying to reach, people we're trying to be a witness to. You know, you have a mission field. You go to it every day. You live in a mission field. You go to work at a mission field. You go to Walmart at a mission field. People are watching. Whether you realize it or not, people are paying attention to the way we act. Why? Because we call ourselves Christians. And whether it's fair or not is completely irrelevant. People hold us to a different standard. You're a Christian. You shouldn't act like that. And although it, it kind of grates my nerves a little bit when people say those kinds of things, they're right. Why? Because I'm more than just flesh. I'm more than just a carnal nature. I have a spiritual nature that has come alive on the inside of me that what? That enables me to now live differently outside of my own ability. And that is partly through the love of God. And so I want to read a couple of verses to you. These are very familiar verses. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to read verse 31 and we'll go into chapter 13. Give you a little context here. Paul is writing to a church. And so he's really kind of uh, in one way exhorting them and in one way correcting them. But he's, he's giving them really examples about the gifts of the Spirit and those types. Uh, and even the, the operations and the offices, if you will, 
within a church. And so, you know, he goes through all of these things and he says, you know, do all, do all function in everything. And he goes through everything. But in verse 31, he, he, he makes this statement. He says, but earnestly desire and zealously cultivate the greatest and the best gifts and graces. The higher gifts and the choicest graces. And he says, and yet. So in other words, he's saying, look, you ought to desire to spiritually grow, mature, develop in those gifts and those callings that the thing has God, that God has given you. We don't all have the same gifts. That's why we're called a body. You have things that I don't have. I have things that you don't have. That's why I'm up here talking right now. Not because I'm somebody special. It's because God called me to do this. Because trust me, I would much rather be sitting down listening to somebody else. But yet there's a gift in my life. And so I have to function in that. Well, so do you. I don't get off from functioning my gifts. So I'm not going to let you off on functioning in yours either. And he says that we should desire to what? To develop the gifts that God has placed in us. Yes. He says, and yet I will show you still a more excellent way. A more excellent way. We're not anti the gifts of the Spirit. But there is a way that the Bible says is even higher. I didn't say that. The Bible says that. It's not my opinion. That's God's opinion. So he says, I will show you still one that is a more excellent way, one that is better by far and the highest above all of them, which is love. Jump over to chapter 13. It's really just a continuation. I'm going to start reading out of the New Living Translation. He says, if I could speak all the languages of the earth and of angels and didn't love others, I would be a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. In other words, I could have all these spiritual gifts, but all I'm really doing is making a lot of noise. He says, if I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all the secret plans and possessed all knowledge. And if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. He says, if I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I will have gained nothing. Now, Paul just said a whole lot in four verses. I mean, to really unpack what all he just said, look, it doesn't matter who you are, what you do, how you do it, why you do it, all of these things. None of those things matter if it's not motivated by love. Love is what actually, let me say it this way, is that love is what actually keeps the gifts from becoming abusive. Because I've been in one of those environments too. Well, I'm the man of God, I'm the woman of God, I'm the one, you know, who's, who's God's chosen to use. And, but I'm like, where's the love in this? See, love is what keeps it all safe. The motivation behind it. It keeps things in order. And so that's why even like what I say many times is that, you know, even when, uh, you know, now there's not always the opportunity. But as a general rule, this is what I would tell you. If you have to bring some form of correction to somebody, you better be in relationship with that person first. And you're like, well, the Lord told me to say something to them. Then you need to go build a relationship and earn the right to speak into their life. Why? Because you love them more than you do about showing off. Well, the Lord spoke to me and said so and so. Well, great. Here, Paul says, let me show you a more excellent way. Even greater than prophecy. Even greater than all these other things. It's to love people the way that Christ loved people. Did Christ only love nice people, good people, happy people, lovely people? 
Did he not pray from the cross? Father, forgive those who have pinned me to this cross. Those who have mocked me. and Father, forgive them. I mean, what a, what a display of love. If there's nothing else in Scripture that challenges you, no one's ever nailed me to anything. I can't say that anybody's ever even tied me down to something. And I can get, my thought would not be, Father, forgive them. My thought would be, wait till I get up. Because <laughs> we're going to have a problem. And yet Jesus in that moment displays what absolute, I mean, the nth degree of what God's love would really look like. Of course, it goes on here in verse 4. It says, love is patient and kind. It's not rude or jealous or boastful or proud. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable and it keeps no uh, record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice but rejoices when truth wins out. Love doesn't deny truth. It actually rejoices when truth wins and, and truth comes out. It says love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Now again, Paul unloads a lot of information. I mean, if that's the criteria of which we have to live and and the standard by which God is expecting us and really says that, hey, you're able. Why? Because I've put my love on the inside of you. That agape love that I have given towards you, now I expect you to in turn and give it to other people. That's the way, and this is what it looks like. He says that love, God's love, this isn't just me in and of myself. This is something much deeper than this. This is the work of the Holy Spirit on the inside of me, helping me to become who God wants me to be. And that's the case for all of us. And yet, this is the standard. This is the goal. Are we going to hit it perfectly? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But is it the standard? Is that what I'm pressing for? Is that the goal that I'm pushing towards? Yes. Why? Because I want to be like Jesus to the people that I encounter. The only way I can do that is to love them first. It's to have compassion on them. To allow uh, God's grace to work in me. You know, by nature, I'm not very, uh, I don't have a lot of mercy for people. You're like, well, that's great. You're a pastor. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, I took a personality test one time, me and Dare did, and mercy was like at the bottom of my list. I know some of y'all are shocked by that, but I mean, it was, I don't remember, it was two or three from the bottom. And of course, me and Darren have a whole conversation. I'm like, I'm merciful. And she's like, no, you're not. I'm like, sure it is. I give mercy to people who deserve it. (laughs) How's that not merciful? But you know, I've had to learn how to actually believe the best in people. This isn't stuff that came natural to me. I'm sarcastic by nature. You insult me, I'll throw one back pretty quick. But yet love will actually make me keep my mouth shut. The Holy Spirit will say, don't, don't say that. It was a good day when I quit thinking like that. It was one thing when I stopped saying it. It was another thing when my default reaction quit being that. There's a big difference. Why? Because I knew that God had really done something in my heart. If you really want to know the real you, how do you react? Get tired and see how you react. That's when the real you comes out. That's when the real me comes out. 
When somebody says something and you just snap, you're like, oh, well, you know, it's just my personality. Well, the Bible says we're supposed to have the personality of Christ. That old man, that old personality, that old way died, was buried. And I've come alive into Christ. And so, you know, this is what the Bible tells us. And so there's so many things here. Love doesn't act proud. I'm, I'm better than you. Now, we never say that. But yet, how many of us have had that thought concerning somebody else? Man, I'm glad I'm not like so and so. I'm glad I'm, I'm not dealing with their issues. You run into somebody from your past and, you know, you really have one of two reactions. Because y'all were both heathenistic together. You can either have, thank God I ain't like them no more. I'm glad that I'm better than them. Or you can be thankful and say, God, thank you for your grace. God, I'm going to pray that what you've done in me, you're going to do in them. That you've never given up on them and I don't want to give up on them. I mean, I have friends. I mean, I've been living for the Lord for 20 years. Actually, 21 now. Is that right? Yeah, it is. Wow. 21 years. You know, there are still people that I'm praying for that I was foolish with at 15 and 16. Why? Because love never quits. I haven't seen the fruit of it yet. I have in some. But I'm going to keep praying and keep praying and keep praying. Why? Because God can still work. And I'm asking God to work in their life. I'm asking God to move in their life. Why? Because I remember what it was like to be just like them. And to be in their situations and to be lost and not have a clue. And so I never want to be motivated from a place of pride. We're going, man, God, I'm glad I'm not like him. I mean, Jesus talked about this with a Pharisee and a tax collector. Tax collector comes in and he's kind of going through his, you know, all of his uh, qualifications to pray. Father, I just thank you that you hear me because I'm great and I'm awesome. That's, that's the summary of what he prayed. So because I'm so awesome, Lord, I'm now going to ask you to help me out. And then the tax collector comes in and prays. And the Bible says he beat his chest in repentance, recognizing his need for God. And Jesus asked the question, says, which one do you think God heard? It wasn't the one who had all the qualifications. It was the one who was honest and humble before the Lord. Love can help us be humble. It says love doesn't demand its own right. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of a wrong done to it. it. Keeps no account. I don't have a hit list. I know none of you have hit list. <laughs> Got your top five. Lord, if you don't mind, let's just go ahead and take care of number one off the list. No, it keeps no record of a wrong. Even when someone does something. I mean, the Bible actually says that I'm to pray for people who despitefully use me. Not just use you. Despitefully use you. I mean, that's, that's heavy and hard. <laughs> Jesus says, hey, you're supposed to be able to pray. Well, how can you pray for somebody that you don't have true, genuine affection for? I've shared this story many times. Uh, there was a, a moment where uh, I had a, a, a brother-in-law of mine um, was just acting ridiculous. I'll just leave it at that. And I lived in Kansas at the time. And... Uh, 
you know, I was pretty, well, there ain't no pretty about it. I was hot. I was angry enough that I was ready to drive 700 miles to go fight him. I'm talking about as a grown man. I'm not talking about as a teenager. As a grown man, a baseball bat was a really good idea. And I'm not just saying that. That thought went through my mind. Knock on the door, swing. Sounded like a really good option to me. Just being honest. The only reason I didn't was because I had to preach that night. (laughs) We have a problem. I have enough sense to know, number one, I have enough respect for the pulpit that I'm not going to step into a pulpit in that state of mind or with my heart in that kind of place. I'm 700 miles away. What do I do? I started praying angry. It's okay to pray angry as long as you don't stay there. I'm just being honest with you. I was angry. And I had to pray and pray. You know, you, know, you hear people talk about praying through. Well, this was a different kind of praying through. But I prayed until there was some compassion. And I quit praying about him and I started praying for him. There's a big difference. I quit praying about him, started praying for him. The circumstance didn't change. Ultimately, their marriage fell apart because of it. Ultimately. But what changed was me and my heart. And I can see this particular guy today, and I have no ill feelings towards him. I still pray for him every now and then. Not all the time. But I do still pray for him. Why? Because he needs the Lord to work in his life. I don't have him on my hit list. That day he was public enemy number one. (laughs) But yet I had to pray to the place where I could actually pray for him. And sometimes you're going to have to do that. Somebody says something or does something or, or you, know, um, you know, I mean, like one of my personal pet peeves, I can't stand it when people lie about me. If I did something, I don't care to talk about it. Just don't lie about me. But, unfortunately, with what I do, people lie about me all the time. They make assumptions. I'm like, you don't even know me. <laughs> so I've had to learn how to not take account of what people say about me. People run their mouth and have opinions or thoughts or all these various things. I've had to learn how to say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. And you're going to, the Bible says that he would maintain my right and my cause. I don't have to defend myself. God will prove it out. If nothing else, my life will prove it out in the end. So I don't have anything to prove to anybody. What I do have to prove is that I love God and I want to be like him. And I can't do that outside of walking in love with people. And here, Paul gives us a list of all these things and all these ways of doing this. He goes on in verse 13 here, 1 Corinthians 13. He says, three things will last forever, forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. (laughs) 
In chapter 14 here in verse 1, I'm going to read this out of the Amplified Bible. He says, eagerly pursue and seek to acquire this love. He says, make it your aim and your great quest. Make this love, what? The love of God coming out of us towards those around us. Make this your aim. Make it your great quest that you would actually learn how to love people. Beyond yourself. Beyond how you feel. I mean, it's one thing to love people when I feel like they deserve love. It's another thing to love somebody just because. Not because they've deserved it at all. It has nothing to do with them. No, I, but I can actually act beyond my feelings. Let me say it another way. I can act above my feelings towards people. Why? Because I'm called to a higher life. You're called to a higher life now. I don't have to respond out of the flesh. I don't have to just respond out of a carnal nature. Why? Because I'm a spiritual person first. And that's not just a term. There's actual life behind that. There's actual ability behind living for God and walking with God. And seeing the power of God work in me and through me. Why? So that I can actually touch and help people around me see their need for God. And and not just see their need for God, but actually want God. And want Him to work in their life. So Paul says, you should eagerly pursue and seek to acquire this love. Make it your great quest. I mean, the Bible's full of promises, and yet this is the one thing that we can do for God. We can love people. Why? Because they can't see God, but they can see us. Colossians talks about Christ and says that he was the visible image of the invisible God. Well, is Christ still visible? He is through us. We can be that visible image of an invisible God to people around us. I want to read you a couple of attributes about love. Just some things that I wrote down. The first one is is that love covers Love covers. Doesn't mean that we sweep people's mistakes under the rug, but it does mean this, is that I will cover for you. Not in an, not right way, but there is a degree of that. Love covers. I'm going to give you some grace, even though in this moment I'm going to cover your mistake. Another thing is that love cares. Another one is that love moves first. God didn't wait for us to move and say, okay, now that you moved, I'll move. God moved first. He sent Christ before we were ever even had need of salvation. God moved first. So God's love in us will move first. When somebody, you know, let me say it this way, is that even if I were offended or offensive to somebody, I should, if, I, if I get wind that I have offended them, I shouldn't wait for them to come to me. I should go first. Why? Because love wants to restore. Love wants to reconcile. Love moves first. I mean, kind of make it real practical in my relationship with Dare. I shouldn't wait when we get in an argument. If it's my, you know, I should go to her first. She should come to me first. We should be, that should be our aim. 
Who can apologize first? Why? Because we want to walk in love, not just in natural, romantic love. Just like, oh, well, she's my wife. Of course I love her. No, I want to walk in God's kind of love even towards her. So I should move first. You know, sometimes it's like a a standoff. We both know we're both wrong, but nobody wants to admit it. You apologize first. You apologize first. You apologize first. You apologize first. Love moves first. If you want to have a healthy marriage, apologize quickly. Now, you got to mean it. My mom always says, my, dad's, my dad always makes a statement. He says, oh, I'm quick to, to repent or quick to apologize. My mom says, yeah, but you don't mean it. <laughs> it's important to mean it. Don't just say it, but love moves first. Love reconciles and restores. That can be in any environment, in any situation. The love of God in you can bring healing and health to any, any situation. Why? Because God's love's on the inside of you. Love builds up. Love steps in. Sometimes we have to step in as believers into a situation because it ain't going nowhere. But if we, if we can step in and bring in the grace of God into a moment, we can help. I like this one is that love is there. Sometimes the best thing we can do is just to be there for people. I remember one time years ago, I don't remember what was going on, but um, one of my brother-in-laws, who was one of my really good friends from high school, uh, he ended up marrying one of my sisters, and uh, he's a psychologist, and I don't remember what the circumstance was, but something had happened, and, you know, I'd gone, I think it was to a hospital or something, and I was sitting there, and I didn't really know what to say, because, you know, I just didn't know what to say, and I was just there and quiet. And I called him later, and I was like, man, I didn't know what to say. You know, he's a Christian counselor, psychologist. And I'm like, what should I have said? And he said, nothing. He said, you did the right thing just being there. Being there for them in their time of need is really the most valuable thing that you could do. Because nothing you were going to say was going to make a difference. And just being there made a huge impact. And later on, they told me that. And sometimes... We don't have to, it was just as hard for me because I'm a fixed person. I, I want to fix it. I want to come in and fix it. And sometimes I just need to be there. Sometimes love is just there for people. I'm praying for you. Thinking about you today. Love is there. Love is present. Those types of things. Love gives, even if it's sacrificially. I mean, there's sacrifices that we make for those that we love. Well, sometimes God may ask us to sacrifice things for things that, for people that we don't love. Why? Because we're walking in the love of God. Love is always motivated by compassion. You've got to get to that place. I talked about earlier, man, I started praying angry, but I finished by praying with some compassion. God's love is always motivated from compassion. Jesus had miracles happen because he was moved with compassion and he fed thousands of people. He was moved by compassion. That's the love of God motivating him. I love this one is that love overcomes offenses. Whether that's to me or whether that's to somebody else. I may do something that offends somebody else, but the love of God in me can actually go build that bridge back. It can actually restore that relationship. 
Love tells the truth, but with grace. The Bible says it this way, is that we tell the truth in love. I love in John chapter 1 where it talks about that Jesus was full of grace and truth. He was full of both. You could say it this way, is that Jesus was full of love and truth. He didn't, you don't have to sacrifice one to have the other. You can have both. Jesus was full. That word full means he was abounding over the top. Just flowing out of him was grace and truth, love and truth. Well, that's the model. That's who God's calling us to be. Let me read you one last passage of scripture. Here out of Luke chapter 6. Jesus speaking to the disciples says, To you who are willing to listen, says, I say, love your enemies. So Jesus didn't say this was for everybody. He said, if you're willing to listen. He says, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt as well. He says, give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. He says, if you only love those who love you, why should you get any credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. He says, if you do good only to those who do good to you, you should get, or should you get credit? He says, even sinners do that much. He says, if you lend money only to those who can repay you, should you get any credit? Even sinners lend to other sinners for a full return. He says, love your enemies and do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Says, then your reward. See, when we walk in love, there's a reward. It's not that we're some kind of pushover, because I don't believe as believers that we're to be pushovers. That's not what love means. I mean, as a parent, does love mean that you just let your kids do whatever they want? The Bible says if you don't discipline your kids, you don't love them. So that's really not what love means. It's just be like, well, you just run over me all you want. Sometimes love will stand up and say, hey, I love you. But I ain't your doormat. Verse 35 says, Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. It says, Then your reward from heaven will be very great. A very great reward. And you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For He is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. He says, you must be compassionate just as God is compassionate. It says right here is that there's a very great reward. And when we walk in the love of God, motivated by the love of God, we are acting truly like children of the Most High God. Now let me give you just a little uh, kind of a thought here that I believe can help you in your day-to-day life. This isn't earth-shattering, but it will help you because it helps me. It's a statement, a phrase that I heard a number of years ago. Here's the phrase. It says, bless their darling heart and their ignorant head. When dealing with people, that phrase can help you a lot. 
Because as opposed to getting all fired up, which I can, some of you can, you get fed up till you're past fed up. Like, why are they doing this? Why are they acting that way? I mean, like, just give you another example of this. You may have wounds from your parents that go all the way back to your childhood. Because you want them to make it right. They may not even be alive anymore, and yet you still want them to make that right. Here's one of the things that I have learned. Many times people are just doing the best they can with what they got. Or what they're doing the best they can with what they know. My my parents are believers. They're, you know, they love God, but they're not perfect. Why? Because they're human beings. And I've had lots of conversations with my dad. And he talks about, you know, regrets of when we were being raised or whatever it may be. And one of the things that I've just come to is, Dad, you did the best you could with where you were at. You did the best that that you could with what you knew at the time, but I can see that you've changed now, which means more to me than anything because it shows me that I have to change. Because I've watched my dad change. You know, and so many times when people, when we're dealing with people, if we can just keep that thought in mind, they're just ignorant. They don't know any better. They might be spiteful, they might not be nice. They may be ugly. They don't know any better. Especially when we're talking about people who aren't walking with the Lord. They're just fleshly. What do you expect? Bless their heart. But they're just acting ignorant. They don't know any better. And it'll help you kind of keep it in perspective. we're very blessed and fortunate that we have the truth of God's word to live by they don't many times and just because somebody's a believer does or let me say this way just because somebody claims to be saved doesn't mean they have a clue about the truth of scripture they go to church don't mean they listen well I mean the, the truth of God has to come alive in them but we can show them Christ by how we show the love of God to them in their actions now this morning, we're going to do something before we leave. And this is something that I did for me. I've done this, I don't know how many times. And we will continue doing it. I have this little card right here. There's some of them out there on the little information table. If you don't have one, you can get one. Some of you are smiling and laughing already. Because this little thing has saved me a lot. And we're going to, I'm actually, we're going to put it up on the screen here in a few minutes. We're going to read it together. What it is, is 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8 out of the Amplified Bible, but I took everywhere that said love and I put in I. Now, I've done this for a long time. Remember, I said this didn't come naturally to me. That's why I had to make it a confession. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. I had to say it and 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 say it over and over and over again. I've had to tape it to my mirror in my bathroom. I've had to tape it to my computer screen. I've had to put it in my car because when I'm ready to tell somebody how I really think and how I really feel, it's a reminder. That's not who you are anymore. You're motivated by the love of God. So we have these available. If you haven't ever grabbed one, they're out there on the information table. But we're going to read it. It'll be up here on the screen. So this is 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8 out of the Amplified Bible. 
You might think this is a little strange, but it works. So I don't really care what you think about it. It worked for me and it has helped me tremendously. So I'm going to ask you to read it with me as we go. So we've already read these verses, but uh, let's read it together. It says, I endure long and impatient and kind. I am never envious nor boil over with jealousy. I am not boastful or vainglorious. I do not display myself haughtily. I am not conceited, arrogant, or inflated with pride. I am not rude or unmannerly and do not act unbecomingly. I, God's love in me, does not insist on its own rights or its own way, for I am not self-seeking. I am not touchy or fretful or resentful. I take no account of the evil done to me, and I pay no attention to a suffered wrong. I do not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoice when right and truth prevail. Because of God's love in me, I bear up under anything and everything that comes. I am ever ready to believe the best of every person. My hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, and I endure everything without weakening. My love never fails, fades out, or becomes obsolete, or comes to an end. That's who you are. Not saying it's easy. But it's possible. You have the ability. The, the love of God is on the inside of you. You can believe the best of every person. Doesn't mean you're not going to have to take captive some thoughts when they come. Like, nope, I'm not going to think that way about them. I'm going to think the best about them. I'm going to think about them in light of the Word of God. But it's possible to live this way. And when we live this way, we get to be light in dark places. We get to show the goodness of God to people who have no access to seeing the goodness of God. 